Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussions and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Hey, Nate. Happy uh, Easter. Thanks, buddy. Happy Easter to you, too. That's... <laughs> Good to be here. Is that a thing we say? Happy Easter? Happy Easter? I think it is. Oh, well, I like it. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I just didn't know if that was a thing we do or not. I think it's I think it's like Merry Christmas and Happy Easter. Or like Happy New Year? <laughs> Skipping a little there. Okay. I like it. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Let's do this. Let's uh let's do it. We get to dive into the New Testament and we're gonna go Matthew fifteen through seventeen and Mark seven through nine. I, I'm looking forward to today. We have a few good stories to talk about, and we get to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. This is good. This is something I've always kind of wanted to know more, a deeper understanding about, because I, it's never really made much sense to me, if I'm being totally honest. Oh, hopefully it makes a lot more sense after today. Okay, well, good. I'm excited to get into it. If not, maybe we'll be all be more confused after today. I mean, that's a real possibility, too. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Okay. Matthew, chapter 15. I'm going I'm to launch right into here. Uh, then came Jesus, then, excuse me, came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were at Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's kind of an important distinction here that they're calling it, the tradition of the elders. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? So, there's, there's Christ's answer in a question, but his answer is actually quite revealing. They're saying, why are your disciples transgressing the tradition? And Christ's response is, why are your traditions transgressing the commandments? Mm. And, and I mean, that's the heart of what's here at, 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 at being discussed. Who commanded them to wash their hands and do these ritual washings that they do before they eat? It's not a commandment from the law of Moses. It's not anything that Christ gave them to do. This was a tradition of the elders. And, and this goes right back to the discussion that we had about taking the, the, the wheat or the grain and then rubbing it between your hands versus letting the wind blow the, the chaff off and tossing it back and forth, right? This is, this is something that they've created to stand in place of or augment the law. And, and Christ is actually going to give them an example here, and, and I'm actually going to slide over to Mark for this, and then maybe we can come back into Matthew. I think Mark covers this a little bit better. Mark 7, and uh, let's see. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah the prophet, uh, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for, their, uh, for doctrines the commandments of men. There's that distinction again, right? If Christ gave them the law and said, keep my commandments and I will save you, salvation isn't to be found necessarily in the law, but in Christ, and Christ is laying out the stipulations through which he will save them. So the law itself doesn't grant salvation. The law doesn't grant eternal life. The law is only giving them power as far as they are following Christ, who's going to do this for them. And now they are taking that law 
and replacing it with tradition. And, and that's what Christ is really going to hammer on this point. And it's not just, so this is where we, last week, I think in there, two weeks ago in the reading, there was a, a scripture, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. That the idea that we start basing so much of our salvation on ritual, on doing things, when, when the heart of it has to be Christ. And here they are trying to replace Christ. So we're going to go into how they're trying to replace Christ, because it might not seem obvious at first, and Christ is going to give them an example. And, and he says, for Moses said, okay, verse, let's go, let's go to verse eight. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men as, so, so for example, the washing of pots and cups and many other such things that you do. And he said to them, for well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. So here's that idea, right? They're, they're rejecting the commandments for your own tradition. Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And why did Moses say that? Because this was a commandment of God. And whoso curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. And that's interesting because if you go back to Exodus, it doesn't say honor your father and your mother or else you're going to die, right? It says honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. And so it's interesting that Christ actually takes this honor your father and your mother unless you die the death. So it's, it's technically the same thing, but it's interesting that it's, it's different enough. I, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> but you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered. And many such things do you do. So here's what he's saying. Your tradition is now more important than the law because if they say Corbin, Corbin is not part of the law of Moses. In fact, Corbin's probably a weird word, and, and I'm guessing a lot of you haven't heard of Corbin before. Corbin, is, it, it became a tradition that if you wanted to dedicate something to God, you could give it to him by, by declaring it Corbin. And, and this is the... This is, in this instance, Christ is saying, say your father and your mother need a place to live, and they've come and asked if they can live. You've got a spare room or something in your house. And you say, you know what? I've decided to give that room to God. It's Corbin. So now that becomes taboo for anyone to live there and inhabit it. I'm dedicating it to the priest. And, and it's kind of interesting, the word taboo. Do you, do you know where the word taboo comes from? No. The word taboo uh, comes from, uh, James Cook brings it into the English language, and it's after he's coming and visiting like Tonga and some yeah. of these islands down there. Taboo means sacred, reserved, set apart for something that's sacred. Hmm. And you wouldn't think taboo means that, right? No, I would, I would think it means the exact opposite the, of that. The exact opposite. And, and, and the idea was, if the priest wanted something that you had, they could declare it taboo. It's taboo in the sense that this this house of yours is now sacred and it's going to be the priest's home. It's the it's reserved for God. And because it's now reserved for God, it's off limits for you. Mm. And so we've taken that taboo and we've almost kind of switched it to anything that's off limits. But the original sense of the word was it's off limits because it is reserved for God. So it's that same sense. Corbin is taking what you could have given to help your parents who needed it. And their father, in this case, when it's saying honor your father and your mother, it's like a father and mother coming to you and asking for assistance. 
and and they say I I need a few whatever money for for bread and you say you know what I've got extra money but I'd rather not give it to you I'm going to give it to the priest it's Corbin and that's going to allow me to get out of helping you so what Christ is saying here is your custom your tradition however well intended it started is being used to supersede the law, the original law. Your traditions are more important than the law. We've talked a little bit about this before, I feel like, too, right? And, and when when we try to say, well, you're trying to get out of doing something you've been asked to do by being like, well, I'm doing this other thing that's also good, right? And we, we've, we've talked about this actually as kind of a, as a way of of uh, how human beings try to justify doing good things, right? It's, I mean, again, like, I don't, I'm not trying to call anybody out or anything like this because, dude, everybody, I'm a big believer in, like, you figure out how you worship on the Sabbath, right? But, like, a very common theme is, well, I'm not going to go to church because I'm going to go out and go camping with my family. And doesn't the scripture tell us we're supposed to spend more time with our family? Like, so I'm actually doing, like, I'm actually doing the higher law, in my opinion, by not going to church and being more spiritual by being outside camping with my family. You know what I mean? It's like there, there's a lot of sometimes these justifications almost of how we can get out of <clears throat> doing what we've been asked to do by going, well, I'm also doing this other really good thing that because aren't we supposed to be spending more time with our family? Shouldn't we be outside more doing, you know what I mean, fun things or whatever with our kids or whatever? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And so this this feels like another really good example just kind of reminding us like, no, do what you've been asked to do. I will be the one to let you know. It's it's dude, it's Adam and Eve. Well, aren't we aren't we commanded we're supposed to multiply and replenish the earth? Yes, you're supposed to do it on the timeline that I have explained to you, right? You're, you're supposed to, yes, you are supposed to do that, but that doesn't mean that you get to sin by doing something that I've, I've also asked you to do maybe on a different timeline or whatever that is. On God's terms, not yours. That's exactly right. And, and man, as you were saying that, <laughs> it just went right out of my head. Oh, I thought it was going to be some spicy take. I was getting ready to play my yeah, US. the spicy take music. Yeah, I still don't have that yet, but I will. No, I just, I just, it just went. All right, that happens. Gone. Well, if you remember, it, we'll come back. Did no, here it is. It's a story from oh. uh, Joseph Smith's time. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so somebody asked him. You know, what, what What would you think if I took this money instead of donating it for my, it was either the tithes or offerings. So I don't have the details of the story right in front of me, right? But he says, instead of instead of taking this money and donating it to the church, there's there's this, this need right here, and I could just take this money and I can put it right up into this need and take care of it. What would you say to that? And, and Joseph Smith's response was, I'd say you're being awfully generous with someone else's money. <laughs> okay. So, okay. That's, first of all, that's a fantastic, like, story to illustrate this point, right? Because... This is another one of those situations where sometimes what's being asked of us requires an immense amount of faith, right? And by the way, like I've said very openly, and, and I'm doing better at this, and it's something that I'm learning at, tithing has always been a tough thing for me. Not that I don't believe in it. It's just that like I am a very human human that is responsible for the complete financial needs of a family. Right. And there are some months where it's like when the money comes in, it's like this This has already been spent on the bills that I owe for this month, right? And that's a hard thing for me, right? 
the very this story side of me would like to go well doesn't jesus tell us to to take care of our families and provide for our families and to pay our bills and to keep our debts paid doesn't jesus also tell us to do that doesn't god tell us to do that oh in the elijah and the widow right okay so this is my point right i'm saying this because when we read things like this and we read these stories like this i will absolutely like admit it hits different for me right and maybe it hits different for other people i feel like though by be me being willing to like very be very open and kind of talk through this uh-huh. hopefully anybody listening or me down the road or in the future we can just go like okay cool we're all in the same boat we all have those things we all have those things that 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 come up in our lives and if you don't at this point by the way congratulations it's not me right <laughs> It's I'm I am I am as human as it gets on some of these things, right? I do love though that the story I I love that this this theme, this principle though, continues to come up and be illustrated. I mean, really throughout the entire Bible. And and on this one it's actually gonna be illustrated on multiple levels because consider this. If Corbin is not part of the law of Moses, and this is something that these priests these these people have instituted, for what? Where's this going to? If I donate this money, if I donate this property to to God, who gets it? Well, another person. Right? It's, a, it's the priest, right? That's they're what they're I'm benefiting like of this, another right? Another person's getting this. And and why are they doing it? And and so that there there was an interesting statement on this, uh, an interesting read from from what this law means. It, going back to Corbin, just give me one second to pull it up. I got it right here. No problem. Okay, here we, here we go. This conduct was similar to the customs of certain persons who bequeath the inheritance of their children to churches or religious uses, either through terror of conscience, thus striving to purchase the kingdom of glory, mm. or through persuasion of interest, hireling priests. For my salvation and for the salvation of my predecessors and for the salvation of my successors and for the salvation of my wife, etc., etc., I give and bequeath to God and his church, etc. An evil that had arrived at a pitch of unparalleled magnitude and an evil that was supplanting the atonement made by the blood of the covenant and putting deathbed grants of land in place of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, if I want to approach God... And maybe I haven't exactly lived a life that shows I'm trying to approach God. And I'm looking back on life and saying, man, I need, to, I need to do something to try to make up for all of that. I am going to give my property and my money, which I don't need anymore, instead of giving that it to my children. That is a very convenient time to do that, by the way, too, on your deathbed, right? Right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's Corbin. I'm going to give this to God as payment for everything I did to try to make up for it. Instead of relying on Christ to, to make this right, I'm going to, through my own power, my own possessions, my own money, that's now my God. That's going to save me. That's going to get me through this. Okay, I want to bring up something, and I don't, I don't think that this is going to be controversial. I don't okay. think this is going to be too spicy because of the point that I'm trying to make with it, which is there is a fine line between, between religion— and cults, right? And 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 weird stuff, right? Both of them require you to give them things. Both of them require a tithe. Both of them, you know what I mean? Both sacrifice. of them require sacrifice. And this is why 
you know, when if this is why, by the way, trying to ever have the 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 which, by the way, again, thank you, President Nelson, for just giving us all a pass to not feel like we need to argue about this with anybody anymore. But don't go look at my Twitter from last week. Just kidding. I'm actually doing a lot better. Now it's mostly just about sports and politics. But um, Oh, yes. Non-controversial. <laughs> Here's my point, though. Within like a within the religious community, it's like you can argue over and over like, oh, so your your religion requires you to give them X amount of money and they have all this money and stuff like, well, that sounds very culty to me. And you're like, well, sure, it would be if I didn't believe truly that Jesus Christ sits at the head of my church. You know what I mean? Like it's on some level, it almost has to come down to that. And, and, and everyone feels like that. We do a lot in the name of religion. This is what I'm saying. And and by the way, so do a lot of people do it. I've watched some documentary on these crazy things happening and various other cults and things and religions. You go, oh, that's really similar to a lot of this. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and then you go, well, if it's similar, shouldn't that tell you this? And I'm like, yes. Here's the thing, though. is And this is the point that we just made, too, which is some actions, yes, can be the same as both a good or a bad thing. And the thing that separates the two of them is one of them was commanded by God and the other one is a counterfeit or the other one is done for the benefit of a cult leader or a whatever, right? And this is why it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to try to talk about early church history because there's just a lot of things that if you go, if you just try to look at this without any sort of context— then yes, of course, anything that you do in any sort of organized group can seem like weird and and all of those things, right? This and again, the only reason I bring this up is because what what you just said is important to at least acknowledge. Where you're just like, do do us as part of the LDS faith believe that we're buying ourselves salvation? I mean, it, the the long joke was you pay your tithing is fire insurance, right? Yeah. And so I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is I'm not afraid to then go, yes, I can understand, and I'm, I'm not going to attack other people's belief that something is or isn't going to be the thing that, that saves them in the next life, because at face value, all of it can seem the same. And I think Jesus is also making this point, too, and has over and over, and, and why I'm harping on this so much is the biggest difference is if if there's a connection with the spirit confirming that this is a commandment from God. If, if it's being given to us by leaders who we sustain that have, that we believe and sustain as having a, a pipeline to God, this all still comes back to by their fruits, ye shall know them. Right? Yes. That's, I'm so glad you made that point, Nate. Um, I, and I want to put a fine point on that even, please even more. Right. And, and, in one sense, look at, look at, when when the when Christ went to feed the multitude last time, right, and he he turns to his disciple, his apostle, and says, "What do we have?" And what does he say? We've got two hundred pence. Where's the two hundred pence coming from? And then go to the last week before Christ dies, and Mary takes the ointment, and and Judas is upset because that comes from the purse, and he's got his hand in the purse. Where is the money in the purse coming from? Right? And Christ says, go out there without purse or script, 
because you, the, the workman is worthy of his hire. You're not paying for this yourself. You're relying on others to support you. They are raising funds. They're generating money. Christ is receiving money. And then look at the widow's might, right? And the widow who's willing to put everything that she had, even though it's a small amount, and he praises her for it. And, and so you, you bring up this point. And praise her for it and doesn't say, never mind, just keep it, by the way. Right. right. He doesn't give it back that's to exactly her. That's exactly right. Let, that's a way, blessing that's, for her. By, that's exactly right. Continue. So what's the difference between Corbin and in a sense of, I am going to pay for my salvation, and this widow who's doing everything that she has? And, and you said it. By your fruits, you shall know them. Why am I donating this? Is it so I don't have to support my parents mm, anymore? That's right. Is it because it's no longer convenient for me and it doesn't benefit me, so I might as well give it to God rather than give it to help somebody else? Or, or am I truly trying to come closer to Christ? And sometimes those things, by the way, can be a very hard, very blurry line to walk. Mm-hmm. It, because again, for me, like there are months where, yes, my wife, by the way, is paying our tithing. And I'm over in the corner, like the meme, right? Where it's just like my, my hands on my head and my eyeballs like popping out going, okay, are you sure we want to do this? You, see, you know what I mean? Like, like, oh my goodness. Like, I know I'm going to be getting a call from the power company this month, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, luckily yeah. it's not. But but the, so so even then, like, I even believe in it. And I'm like, this. I know that this is right. And even then I'm going... Man, I hope this still counts that my wife is just insisting that we pay it even if I'm over stressing out like curled up in the fetal position this month. You know what I mean? And, I do know and what so, you mean. And so it's like there's times where I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm scared now that it's not even going to work. It's not even going to count because of my bad attitude <laughs> about this. And so, so, But I guess, I guess the whole thing, again, comes down to, yes, on some level, there is always going to be Satan's way – and God's way, and Satan's way can look really, 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 really like an awful this. lot like close, close to God's way, and it's usually done in a, in on very much on purpose in a way to just distract or to convince to just barely move off the path, just to barely, you know, it's like you know we we dude we you and I are not at risk of going and committing first degree murder next week. That's not how Satan's getting us, right? Right. But man, there's a lot of just little things in our day-to-day thing that we're like, well, that's not actually a bad thing. Well, it's not actually bad for me to go, hey, man, maybe I'm not going to go to church this week because like, the weather's really great and it would be a really good chance for me to take the kids out on a boat you know, today instead or whatever because I haven't seen them very much over the last few weeks because I've been really busy at work and this would be – I know God would be super okay with me just like – not doing exactly what he asked me to do, but something else that he really wants me to do. It's like, that's how Satan's going to get me, right? Is the little things that just start by deviating enough and then going, man, I felt really good when I was hanging out with the family and we were having a great time. Maybe I don't, maybe I just, maybe it's more once a month during fast and testimony meeting that I uh, just skip it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, and you mentioned like maybe doing something that we want instead of doing what God's asking us to do. And, and it made me think of, 
Abraham sacrificing his kid because isn't that outside of the lines when oh, totally. when he goes to take his kid and offer him on a sacrifice that is in a sense is that almost like taking your family out on a boat because you're going against the law you're going and doing something that is absolutely prohibited this isn't just a tradition this is absolutely thou shalt not kill right there at the top of the list and what's the difference between him taking his son and going to break the law to do it versus me taking my family out to go and enjoy some time sure. And and I guess the, the answer comes down to, are you following Christ? Okay. And and by the way, I fully support anybody that also is like, hey, Jesus came to me in a vision last night and said, hey, this is what I need you to do, right? Then like on on your way, then right? You better get on your way. And that, I mean, that's this is my point, right? Yeah, is that it's like, is that that's sometimes the difference, dude? The the, the Abraham story is a perfect example of the illustrate to illustrate my point earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that story. Remember, he was being sacrificed to a god by his father not long before this. You know what I mean? Like, like, what's the difference it's between those two the, things? The cult. That's exactly right. What's the difference between those two things? It's it's what God's commandment was, and even though the act of those two things is very, 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 very similar, right? Uh huh. And so, you know, whatever. I'm what I'm saying is is that is that I'm really glad that you brought this up. Because it's a good chance to once again discuss, like, we can't just take a shot at other people that are like, oh, you think you can buy your way into heaven? I'm like, hey, I don't want to take a shot at that person necessarily. If if God came to them and said, hey, give me everything on your death. I mean, he did tell a rich, rich young man, sell, sell everything, everything you, you have, have and come follow me. So uh, uh, there's a, how do you separate that from and it Corbin? All, for me, it all comes down to the spirit. If the spirit says, this is what I need you to do. Hopefully we're in tune enough with the spirit. I'm working on it that you can have the confidence to go, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. And 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 Christ specifically in these examples, are the traditions, are you using them to skirt the law? That's right. And are they becoming more important than and the that, law? And that's when it's a problem. And then are you creating your own God? Are you that's creating right. your own path to salvation? Is it bringing you closer to Christ or further away from Christ? And it becomes really that simple. Cool. I I think we've I think we've said it, but I didn't know we were going to go this off on Corbin. But you brought up some good points that definitely got the wheels churning. What's What's next? Let's I'm, keep going. I'm glad. Uh, well, it, 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 he says it so well. Christ, I mean, it's Christ. He says as a final fine point to to the people that were criticizing his disciples for not washing their food or washing their hands or washing with the bowls or whatever the case may be. He says, look. It's what's coming out of your mouth that defiles you, not what's going in. And and that's such a powerful statement. The idea that if you're eating food, whatever it is, even if it's, you have the whole clean and unclean in the law of Moses. And, and surely that can defile you according to the law of Moses, right? And for Christ to say, it doesn't matter what you put in when he's got the, when, when they are living this law, that's, it's pretty revolutionary. And he's saying, you know, what, whatever, I mean, sure, maybe it makes you sick or whatnot, but that doesn't change who you are on, on a very fundamental level. Okay. All right. I, this is good that we're talking about this because now I have a question to throw back at this. Oh, dear. Well, then, then when did that flip? Was it right then when Jesus said it? Because, like, the law of Moses was pretty dang clear, like, what you should and shouldn't be eating, and... I don't know what it was punishable by, but I definitely know that it made you unclean to be doing any sort of like work 
like religious work and stuff, right? For like the priest, like anything that makes you unclean is like there's, there's a whole, that's you, a very yeah. disqualifying. So so when did this flip? So in a, at this point right here, he's he's not challenging the whole clean unclean, right? It's still it's still in effect, but it sounds like it. What he's saying is not necessarily the eating of pork per se, but that you haven't washed your hands and it's not defiling you. I know, but if he says, but at the though, same time, it's. <laughs> It's it's a precursor. It's happening. Okay, but that's what I mean. Is like when he just said, like, "Hey, it's not about what goes in your mouth, but what comes out." Is that the second that people could have started eating bacon? Is all I'm wondering. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're quite there yet. Why not? I mean, in in theory, yes. Because well, because I guess my my question then it's a bigger question is like oh, no, when okay. when do when do a lot of when do when are when is the old law fulfilled is it is it at the moment of the atonement is it the moment of the, is the death is it the resurrection do you see what I mean like yes yes if if Jesus is coming to fulfill all of these laws when when do they not when is it when is it now the flip from the here's, old to the new here's the answer okay I think I've got it oh sweet okay why why does what coming out of your mouth defile you. Well, because it shows your intentions. It shows where your heart's at. Yes. Right? So let's go back to what's coming in. If what's coming in, you're not breaking the law of Moses by by not washing your hands, because the law of Moses doesn't require this ritual washing, right? This is the tradition of the elders. So if you're not intentionally breaking the law of Moses, does that defile you? No. But if you're intentionally breaking the law of Moses and defiling it by your actions, taking it in, is that not the same thing as what's coming out of your mouth? I accept this. What I don't still (laughs) accept, though, is why we're allowed to eat bacon. So that does change when the law changes. That's going to happen in a vision to Peter. Oh, interesting. All right. So, So Peter has a dream. And we'll get to this a Peter little bit just later this year. To eat bacon. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you so. You guys are never going to believe because it's, it's, it's the uh, it's the it's, we talked about this in Doctrine and Covenants it's, and, it's and the, cheeseburgers. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's the uh, um, it's the when when we got the word of wisdom. It's like you guys are never going to believe this, but <laughs> you know how you guys have just trashed my house and it's disgusting and stinky. You're never going to believe this vision I just got. <laughs> The Lord said, knock it off. The Lord has now actually decided we're putting this in. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's a few catalysts, I'm sure, that lead to a revelation like that. I'm just saying, it would be amazing if it was just like, man, the rest of these dudes are eating some awesome food. I'm, I'm just saying, it corresponds with missionary work going to the Gentiles, I, where that exactly kind of food right. is regularly this is what I'm served. Saying. Maybe it's just a catalyst. All right, I'm not trying to be uh, sacrilegious here. You're but. not, you're not. It's, uh, it's good discussion. Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip back to Matthew 15. Okay. And and I'm gonna roll on to the next story. You guys are never gonna believe this vision. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the I just love the visual of that. Well, and, and I love Peter's response, right? Because in the vision, it's like this this like picnic cloth laid out with all of these foods yeah. on it. And yeah. his response is like, "Not so, Lord. I'm not gonna eat this. He's it's like, unclean. You're trying to trick me, aren't you?" <laughs> And God's like, don't call that unclean what I made clean. That's it's awesome. good. That is so awesome. Oh, my goodness. I love that Peter's even trying to be like, he's like, oh, no. I mean, trust me. I was like, no, I'm not going to eat these things. But, like, God really wanted me to eat this, like, BLT. So, apparently, looks like we're all doing this now. <laughs> you might want to edit this out. Okay.
Is that the same? I just had to throw it in. No, there. I appreciate that. There, there was a little edit there because Jason and I, we really do enjoy doing this together, and sometimes our, our having fun with this needs to be edited out for various reasons. But we could just keep going as if it never even. happened. We're just going to keep going as if it never really happened. All right, what's next? Okay, moving on. So I'm back into Matthew 15, and. Uh, Verse 12, then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Come on, he had to have known he was. <laughs> this, is a great, this is a great section tonight. <laughs> but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And, and I love this, Nate, because it goes back to the idea of the wheat and the tares, right? When we say every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted... I, I really like to think of this as these ideas. What's Christ attacking here? And, and he tells them, you have established these traditions that you have fostered and you have cared for like plants that have grown up and you're living by this to the point that you are willing to break my laws for your plants. The, the, these need to be rooted out and Christ is, he's, he's laying it on. So I, I kind of like that that slides in there. Cool. And he says, let them alone. They be leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall into the ditch. Man, go on Twitter for 15 minutes. First of all, don't ever go on Twitter for 15 minutes, but if you were to go on Twitter for 15 minutes, that scripture is about as the blind leading the blind is about, that's that's what it's all about, unfortunately, right now. Yeah, and the next the next little section here, it's kind of an interesting story. It's the woman from Canaan okay. who, who approaches Christ, and she's like, "My, is it her daughter? I believe it's her daughter. Yeah, verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan uh, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Mm. But he answered her not a word, which is kind of interesting for him to just blow her off, to not even tell her no or yes or even respond, right? He's just doesn't say a word but his and, and his disciples came and besought him so now his disciples are coming to him saying send her away for she crieth after us so now now if she can't get him to help she's trying to get his disciples to help and so they're coming and begging him like hey for our sake what can we do mm. and maybe there's a lesson in that right um and he answered and said i am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of israel then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And now he answers. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Hmm. So that, that's harsh. Coming from the Savior, who cares so much about the individual, who's, who's going and seeing people, who travels across the sea to help the man possessed with legion, who's also not Israelite, right? Sure, he, he might not be Canaanite, and maybe there's some hostility there, but really from Christ, who's God of the whole world? And and he refers to as that. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, here, I, I and I like the position of this story, because just barely you have you have him saying, hey, did you know that you offended the Pharisees? And and now he's he's going here, and he says something terribly offensive— and she's not offended. 
And Christ says that he is the rock upon which we should build, but this same foundation stone is a stumbling block, and we'll get into that. And so here he has put a stumbling block in front of her, and she takes that stumbling block and turns it into foundation. a foundation. Whereas in the Pharisees, he's laying down a foundation. Don't you understand how important the law is and you're trying to circumvent the law? Let me help you. Let me correct you. And they're instead turning that foundation into a stumbling yeah, block. they're tripping all over it. So sometimes it's not so much how he asks us or how he treats us. Is he not the same one that wrestled with Jacob? Is he not the same one that asked Abraham to sacrifice his son? Is he not the same one that allowed Job to go through what he went through? He's going to try us. Maybe the question is, how far are we going to go before we take offense? Or are we still going to take this and build on it and find and find it? And so when she says that, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. There's so many ways that I feel like we can apply this to us, but also what an amazing time for this for us to be going through this like the week after conference because again conference for a lot of people is incredible and uplifting and whatever and for a lot of people it's how can i nitpick and how can i criticize and how can i find fault with hey they're not validating me they're not validating what i want to believe the, you know what i mean like it doesn't the 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 talks aren't given by the people that I want to be given. It's like, you know, it's like you can you can either come up with your laundry lists of why I'm offended by a conference or your laundry list, maybe not even the laundry list, but the yeah, whatever the awesome list would be of, oh, my goodness, even though I was totally chastised here and even though I was to- it's totally talking about me when President Nelson says I need to stop arguing with people on Twitter. You know, it's like it's like for me, I read those things and felt so uplifted, even though I was being very much spoken to, I feel like. And I was very much having some very internal spiritual Holy Ghost reminding me that I need to cut out some knucklehead behavior, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, at least I'm just going like, man, that's incredibly uplifting. Where, again, you can jump onto social media and, and it's just the list of everybody like, well, of course, they'd say that. Well, here comes the whatever, telling me that I can't just do whatever I want in this world. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, like you literally see this story still playing out in literally last week. What what an incredible way to illustrate that story as as in the scriptures there, but also just look around you. It's like, yes, you are going to be you're going to be told things that are going to go contrary to your to your biases and this is not a religion of confirmation bias right this isn't a religion of we're just going to tell you what you want to hear and and hope that that doesn't bum you out you know i don't know that's i think it's i think it's even more profound the, the fact that we just got back from one of the more controversial weekends in our yearly situation and i and i and i look at this and think how many times have I turned to God in prayer for something that was super important for me and and I was on my knees and I was begging the Lord and I, and I asked him, but he answered me not. Yeah. You know, look at the first reaction to her 
when he answered her not, didn't say no, didn't say yes, didn't even give her the time of day. And does it feel like sometimes our prayers go unanswered? Sure. And and then what does she do, right? Well, if I can't access him, maybe his servants. Maybe I go, and, and then they can ask him for me. And and I'm just going to keep coming, and I'm going to keep coming. And, and then the next response is almost very negative, pushing her away. And maybe we feel like God's pushing us away, or maybe we feel like we are alone, or we're left out. Or maybe we're getting the answer no, when we really are like, wait, why? Wait, why would we not be getting the answer that I should totally be expecting in this situation? Which I I can't wait to dive into because we have that coming right up after this too, and 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 yet her persistence, her righteous and, persistence, and, and why why is she persistent? Why is she persistent? And look at look at how she addresses him, O Lord, thou Son of David. He she is acknowledging him. As as the Messiah, and and I think it's 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 probably frustrating a little bit for him that this Canaanite. Now now think, was there also not another Canaanite woman in biblical history that recognized Israel and 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 or recognized the God of Israel and turned to Him when Israel was going apostasy? Right, and and the Old Testament's full of that. You have the story of Ruth. Ruth, I was going to say Ruth was. By the way, we named Josie today officially. Her middle name's Ruth. Oh, congratulations. So keep going. That's why Ruth that's why Ruth popped up. And and you have these Israelite sons that left and married outside of the covenant because it wasn't as important to them in a time of apostasy, a time of famine. And yet she's this one that recognizes the God of Israel and comes in and through persistence and dedication becomes now blessed Israel. I becomes the son daughter of of God. It's it it's it's nice to see it in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Does it feel too, just by the way that the story reads, that Jesus was knew knew that he was knew that he was giving her a chance to really show her faith and and all of these things? And like you said, by his expression of like, "Hey, you passed the test, and you're awesome," and look at the faith of this person. That it it almost it almost reads as if you could tell, like you said, he may have even been frustrated, not being able just to immediately go. Hey, cool. Let me just give. Yeah, totally. I'm here to help, right? But it's like you can almost, you almost see with how excited he is after to be like, "Hey, you're awesome!" And you, I did knew this. you were going to do this the you, whole time. I knew you were going to be able to make it. There's almost something in there too to your earlier question of, "Have you ever felt like this?" It's like, yeah, I have. And maybe sometimes it does. Like, why would why would God withhold something that I really want to have a testimony about? Or why why would you know wh- what would be the reason of that? There's part of me that maybe feels like, yeah, as a frustrated parent, God would is probably sometimes just like, he knows what's best for us long term. And maybe he is frustrated because he's like, hey, I really wish I could just give you all of these things. But there's a bigger thing that I need you to learn. We have kids. We know how that goes, right? Yeah. And sometimes we need them to learn lessons in a way that it's going to stick with them and they're going to be able to remember it. And when they do pass the test, it's like... Yes, 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 yes. Okay, great. Hey, you did it. You, you're, you know, what I mean, it's like you can almost hear, you can almost hear how how Jesus was really like excited to kind of like confer, like you know, validate her faith immediately after in a way that was just like, hey, you passed the test. Of, cor- it, of course, I want to help. You're awesome. And and why is it the widow that gave everything to Elijah that miracle stand out above so many other miracles in the Old Testament? Is it not the price she had to pay for it? That's right. And do we not value those things that cost us more? Oh man, 
that that's a whole other thing. Yeah, the, we we care about the things that we had to earn the money for. Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 and I know this. Like, you know, my first bike was like my dad's like, oh, you want a bike? Cool, let's go get you a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay for half of it. You pay for half of it. And I was like, I'm 14. <laughs> It's like time to learn. He's like, well, luckily in Utah, in the state of Utah, you can do agricultural jobs at the state of 14. So we're, you're going to work over at this Zollinger honey farm and scrape old paint off of bee supers and just get stung and listen to the radio all day. That was a paper boy in the uh, yeah, junior oh, jazz ref, man. There that it was, is. That was a rough one. Oh, that, that's way, that's, that's honestly worse than any job I've ever had. But yes, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. But man, when I got that bike, I was, I would wash it and stuff. Like what 15 by at this point, 15 year old kid is out washing his bike every time he drives it around the neighborhood. But the one that cares about we it. We take better care of things that are ours, you know? Yeah, that we had to earn. All right. Well, and I think we're it's it's getting there with um, with the conversation he has with Peter. In fact, maybe maybe we just skip over some of the stuff and get there. Uh, we we have another instance where Christ feeds the multitude, and and he does. I think they have a little bit more seven loaves and and the fishes, and and they have a different crowd. Right. Anyways, the miracle repeats itself. And and we're going to go into first six, uh, chapter sixteen. Uh, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees, so now they're teaming up, right? Uh, this this unholy alliance. Oh the man, Pharisees, that's true. <laughs> the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tempting, desiring him that they would show him a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it'll be fair weather and the sky is red. In the morning, you say it'll be foul weather to the day and the sky is red and lowering if ye hypocrites you can discern the face of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times a wicked adulterous nation seeking after the sign so he has this conversation and then afterwards so it, and it's important that this is happening right after he feeds the multitude for the second time like i've just done this twice right and and then jesus said unto them in talking now to his disciples after they had dis- departed, he says, I'm not going to give you any sign besides the sign of Jonas, which we've, we've seen. When his disciples were come, verse 5, to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we've, we've taken no bread? So they, they, they're looking at this. They forgot to bring bread with them, and Christ says, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees." And they're like, "Oh, well, like, where do we get bread from? Like, is 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 he saying?" And and he thinks, like, why is Christ making this reference and dropping it here, right? And and they and they kind of struggle with this. Which when Jesus perceived, he said, "Oh, ye little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye brought no bread?" Now he's like, "I'm not." I'm not mad you didn't bring bread, and I'm not telling you where you should go and buy bread. He says, verse 9, do you not understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. This is just the night before and not that long before that he performed both those miracles. How could you be thinking that I'm worried about whether or not you have bread? I can provide bread. That's not the concern. And and he's and he doesn't say the bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says the leaven. He says the leaven. And I think that I'm I'm glad I we're going here for a minute, right? Please do. This is where I want it. Yes. Okay, let me throw this out there and see how far off I am because as we as we were reading this, this is at least kind of where my my mind immediately went, which is leaven is the 
is the like the living organism that makes bread rise, right? Like yeast yes. or whatever. It's the proof of life. Okay. What is what is the bigger what is the bigger picture bread that Jesus continually tells people that they need to have? Is it physical bread? No. No. What is the so then then the idea is what is this idea or the concept of of the leaven of the Pharisees this this living um expanding growing organism that would in theory come and taint or or work itself into the the word of you know what i mean like like uh it's 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 almost like if you take this bread that's pure that's that's christ right that's unleavened that it doesn't need it doesn't need any external you know what i mean it doesn't need any external influence and then you let almost and we just got done talking about these laws that have been changing all these things it's like you almost let this living, living you almost let this living thing come in and distort and change and work its way into a very pure you know what i mean a very a very untainted bread and you let you let this kind of growing organism come in and i don't know displace or 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 change or or infect almost the the word and then you you look at what happened after you look at what christianity became right and it's 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 the it's the laws and the and the scriptures of God mingled with the ideas of men. They they had to break the serpent on the 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 pole because they were worshiping that for a while, right? I mean, it's not unique to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They get a bad rap here, but all throughout the Old Testament, they kept trying to interject. What do they do? They build a golden calf. What do they do when they split Israel again? They start creating these different places of worship and these high places and these altars and these different things that they're going to do. You said it with Christianity and what happens when they change the ordinances and they change the laws and they start interjecting their own ordinances and their own laws. Yeah, it's 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 scripture mingled with philosophies of men. It's the, that's the leaven of the Pharisees. I'm gonna I'm gonna it's, take. It's crazy this. how infectious it is, though, right? Like it's it is almost like a, a thing that that breeds and splits and compounds, like you know what I mean, like a very living thing can. And unfortunately, like if it's if it's something that's, I mean, it's like a mold. You know what I mean? It's like it can be. It's 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 something bacteria. That, it's a bacteria. Isn't that, that what yeast is? It, yes. It's and and you've got healthy bacteria. That's right. And you've got unhealthy make bacteria. And and this is the it's almost a theme that we've been talking about today, but even more extensively throughout the Old Testament, right? Like the two edged sword, the same sword that kills, it's killing to preserve life too, is it not? Yes. And and the water that you drink and brings life can also be the same sea that's going to drown you and take life. That's exactly right. All right, where were you going with this? Am I pretty far off? No, I, I think you're spot on. The, the, leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees being their teachings, and I, and I go back to this, they keep trying to supplant the law, and not just supplant the law, but if you're going to say you don't have to follow what Christ is saying anymore, you're supplanting the atonement. Mm. I will provide you salvation. Mm. I will give you this, and this is going to be the life that I offer. But if I am offering this life, and you look at it, they're not willing to give their lives for you. They're not willing to put themselves in Christ's law, or Christ's law, Christ's shoes, and, and sacrifice themselves. If I can't offer you salvation, then how can I offer you my laws instead of his? How can I substitute me for him? That That's... Totally agree. That's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. I 
I don't. I think they were equally <laughs> complimentary. Fantastic. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, let's keep going. It's it's good. And and Christ, he says, how is it that you do not understand that I speak? It not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they say, Some said that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, which is Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter Simon answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And now this is important. And I say also unto you that thou art Petros. Okay? This is masculine singular. Petros. And upon this Petra... Now, this is feminine singular. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he says, you are Peter, and upon this Petra, now, now what is the Petra then? Because why doesn't he say, upon this Petros? If he was saying, Peter, you are who I'm going to build this whole thing upon, and you are the next me, and this is going to be a continual line unbroken, then would he not say, upon this Petros, I am going to build this? The difference between Petros, masculine, singular, and Petra, feminine, is that Petros is a small stone. Petra is a large foundation. So Christ is the foundation stone upon which we build. Peter is the rock built upon the foundation. And what is it? What is this rock? What is this? It's the... Men hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed it to you. This revelation, this experience, this you following me and understanding who I am is you taking me and making me a foundation stone and building yourself upon this, and upon that is my gospel predicated. Not upon Peter as a person, but upon the idea that when we have the Spirit testify to us— and we make him our foundation stone, we become a smaller stone on the foundation stone, and we build on that. And that is the Petra that he is trying to lay out for us. And it gets really interesting, because there's a play on words here. Because we keep going with this. He's, he's going to then branch into verse 21. From that time forth, then, Jesus began to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. So it's not just that he, he, he said something to him. Peter took him aside, right? Peter took him and began to rebuke him, right? So here's Peter rebuking Christ, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but unto those that be of a man. And this is right after the story where he said, Upon this rock shall I build it. When he says, when he says, For thou art an offense unto me, the word for offense is stumbling stone. 
So here's that interesting thing. Christ keeps saying that he is this building block and a stumbling stone. Now he just told Peter, you're a solid building block. But now he's saying you are also now a stumbling stone to me. And, and I think that's interesting. Do sometimes our good intentions to build upon this rock, to build upon this foundation, become stumbling stones in our eagerness to help somebody and to take away their pain, right? Think about what Christ is doing here. He's telling them, I have to die that I can rise again and raise all of you again. And Peter's like, no, dude, I, I love you. I'm not going to let you die. But what happens if Christ doesn't die? And, and in, our, in our eagerness to pray away illness or, or hurt. Or hard times or trials. Yes. Are we ruining opportunities that are meant for us? And, and is that same foundation stone, are we turning it into a stumbling block for us and trying to make things easy and always trying to take the easy way out? I mean, I guess where do you draw the line, right? That's tough. That's, that's we're, super we're tough. Because we're told to pray for the things that we need. Did Christ not heal the man with palsy? Did he not heal the guy that was waiting to get in the water for 38 years? I mean, is it thy will be done is the answer to that question, I guess, right? Like, we're told to pray for the things that we need. We're told, we're commanded to ask. We're commanded to seek. We're commanded to knock. We're commanded to do these things. And so maybe the answer is, but thy will be done. You know, I mean, that's that's what Christ's prayer was, right, to Heavenly Father, he he even was like, take this, if I don't need to do this, take this cup away, but thy will be done. So maybe, I mean, that's the example, I guess, right? I mean, you look at the Good Samaritan, how's that story end if the guy walking by him says, hey, this is for your good. In fact, let me help you and spits on him, right? Oh like, that's, Trust me, I got you all this. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to grow so much from this experience. Oh, man. Man. It's it's tough because it, it, it circles right back to what we've been talking about, Nate. I mean, it's a fine line. It is. And again, though, the answer is the same, which is like it's the spirit, I guess, right? It's the relationship. It's it's hopefully having a connection with the Holy Ghost enough to know, hey, no, I'm not taking this away. And there's something you need to learn in this and being able to go, okay, I'm still going to pray, but. I mean, that's, you know, we've all had, we've all had those, I mean, whatever. I'm not, I'm sure everybody listening can probably tell you a gazillion stories, and so I'm not going to, but of the times where, yeah, you are praying for a person or you're praying for yourself going, why would, why would God want my child to be sick or hurting or in the hospital? Or taken away from or me. Or taken away from me. I mean, that's, that's a... I don't think we have enough time to go down that long and scary and dark road, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Which yeah. is there are, it really has to come down to the faith and the confidence of, but you'll, I, I still have faith like Peter that you'll raise me up, whether in this life or the next life, if I do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to ask for the things that I need because you've told me to, even though that's even scary sometimes in my opinion with the hope that thy will be done, man, that's, that's, it's, it's the answer we, it's, it's the uncomfortable answer because it feels like a cop-out answer. Well, and and I think it's a little bit easier in, in this case when Christ is explaining to them 
I'm coming to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Like, this is what God wants. Yeah, they don't know. They can't know. Like, they, even because the thing is, Peter just got done saying, I know who you are. And even then, when Christ is resurrected, he's like, what's going on here? How did I miss this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, the, so I mean, to me, it's like, even Christ explaining that to them, having been with him and like hanging out with him over this period of time, even they still didn't know. They they knew, but they there was it, but it wasn't a perfect knowledge by any means. And so those of us that don't get to physically hang out with him and things like that, yes, I'm just again, this is just the real part of me that just goes, I hate sometimes having to accept that thy will be done might be the answer to the question because like that just it seems unresolved it seems unfinished it does and we don't we don't see the full picture right we don't and that's what i have to that's by the way and i'm learning that and a benefit of being alive luckily for as long as i have is that you do start seeing the bigger picture start to, you know we've talked about the puzzle pieces right is that Sometimes you don't know what that exact piece is that you're looking at, but you have enough faith to go, but I'm going to find where this goes in the bigger picture. And then once you start seeing what the bigger picture starts shaping out, you go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, yes, I was in a place that I didn't know the answer, but luckily over time I was able to take two steps back and start seeing the bigger picture. Right. And, and at that point, learning how to say, this is what I need. I don't know what else to say other though than I trust though that you you have a bigger picture in mind. That's scary and it's hard and it's and at the in the moment sometimes feels like a cop out. But once you start seeing how it plays out, I guess it, you're right. It starts making sense. Well, and I I think I think I've almost created a little bit of a conundrum with this one on saying that, and and I think I need to fix it a little bit by saying when. When Peter's trying to help Christ, right, and you can see his love for for Christ, and he's saying, "We we don't want. I want to save you." That's understandable, and, and is trying to help. I don't think that's what's being rebuked here. When Peter pulls Christ aside and rebukes him and says, "No, this isn't what we need right now. We need you," and tries to tell Christ, "This is." This is what we need, and this is how it's going to go down. Now, all of a sudden, it's it's like the Pharisees earlier who are trying to create traditions and laws that become more important than the commandments. Let me replace the commandment. Let me replace what's going to fulfill all righteousness with my solution for how I see this playing out. Let me do, this is what needs to be done. I know you think this is important and you're going to go self-sacrifice yourself because you care so much about everybody, but what's going to happen to your church when you leave? We need you. You don't understand that we need you? Come here. We're going to save this because now I'm seeing this better than you are. And when we start seeing this better than God does and we start telling God what he's going to do to fit our plan, we lose our way. Isn't that what Satan's plan is I'm going to save everybody. I'm going to use my plan to take away everyone's agency and call the shots and make sure everyone's saved rather than being humble and submitting to a greater will and and finding that solution through God and trust. Well said. Let's keep going. Okay. We're we're probably about wrapped up. I know we got to get to the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where I think that's that's probably where we spend the last of our time, right? Okay, let's do it. 
So this is this is fantastic, and it happens in the mountain. Anytime you see things happening in the Bible in the mountain, you you know it's going to be good. And and Christ goes up to this mountain, and there's a few key words here that I think are critical. We understand one is transfiguration. When it says that Christ was transfigured, you know what the Greek word for this is. You actually know this word, Nate. Metamorphous. Yeah, I totally know that word. Yeah, it's a word I've heard before. <laughs> and and it is he's he has changed from a physical being to his exalted being in a sense. He's glowing. He's radiant. Even his clothes have changed. His clothes weren't white as snow before he went into the mountain. Now all of a sudden, everything about him has metamorphosed into this this deity. And, and you have here on display not just transfiguration, this metamorphosis, but translation in the sense that Moses and Elijah come who haven't tasted death. And, and this is significant that they show up because in, in Jewish tradition, it, it says that Moses and Elijah are both going to show up when the Messiah comes. That's a prophecy. Let me, let me just read here. Sorry, it takes a second. Okay. Yea, they expect that these two will come together in future time, for so they represent a God saying to Moses, quote, Moses, as thou hast given thy life for them, the Israelites, in this world, so in time to come, the days of the Messiah, when I shall bring Elijah the prophet, you two shall come together. So this is a prophecy in in Jewish tradition that when the Messiah came, Elijah and Moses were both going to be able to come back to earth and see him and be there present at this this time. What did they discuss? And you're not going to see this as well in Matthew. This is where you have to kind of go into Mark and and read a little bit more. And, And they're going to talk about the death of Christ. And and when it says, in fact, let me let me turn there. Sorry, give me a second. Okay, this is going to be in Luke. I said I said Mark. I, Luke chapter nine verse thirty one. This is what they're discussing. I even go back to verse thirty. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. And, and Elias is the Greek form of of Elijah from from the Hebrew. Verse thirty. 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So what were they talking about? They were talking about Christ, his, his decease, his death. Guess what, the, guess what the word for decease is here? Exodus. Moses is coming to talk to Christ about his exodus. It literally says exodus in the text. So it's important that Moses is there because of his exodus. So you start talking about the death of Christ. The Mount of Transfiguration puts the death of Christ in terms of an exodus. And when I think of exodus, this is not one man going into heaven. This is an exodus. All the people are going free because of what he's going to do. So I love the Mount of Transfiguration because here you have Christ who's about to lead an exodus of Israel talking with Moses who successfully led the last exodus in terms of exodus. And this is happening during the Sukkot festival. The Sukkot festival was was an annual festival where the Jews would build tabernacles 
and and remember the time that they lived in the wilderness when they had the Exodus. So just as you have the Passover linked with the atonement and the crucifixion of Christ, transfiguration is also linked to the Exodus. Because when Peter and James and John, so those three are separated from everybody else, they come up into the mountain with them, and when they see Moses and Elijah, they say, shall we build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Christ? It's because it's the Sukkot festival when you build tabernacles for them. Then you build a tabernacle for yourself and you and you remember what it was like to be in the Exodus. So this event is significant because it's taking the atonement and it's linking it to another ancient Israelite tradition. And the idea that this atonement is not about the death of one man. It's about the liberation of all of his followers. And you link Passover and Exodus together, the cross being marked with the blood, so that anyone that goes through that door, and Christ says, I am the way and the life and the truth, and anyone that comes through me can go through the Father. I am the door through which man must enter. You must go through that blood-stained cross to get there. Anyone that goes through there becomes his family and participates in that exodus from this earthly existence, from mortality to immortality. From, from captivity and bondage to freedom. So this Mount Transfiguration, it's very significant because it's marking that he is the Messiah. You have Moses and Elijah both coming at his presence, and it's linking this atonement to another exodus and, and the liberation of Israel. It's a, it's a very powerful, significant event, and it's happening on a mountain, which, which they say a mountain is a symbol of the temple, or the temple is a symbol of the mountain. And it's very significant that you have this event occurring again, April 3rd, 1836, when Jesus Christ comes to the Kirtland Temple to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. It's not just Jesus Christ that's there. Moses and Elijah both show up at the same time to plan another exodus, Another event where we're going to bring Israel out of and restore and reestablish them once more. And I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that we could not talk about the importance of Elijah in this too, connecting the hearts of the children to their fathers. I mean, Elijah's there quite literally connecting the past to the present, showing that, showing that connection, that, um, um, like you said, that link to the past, and also, by the way, showing how we can be a part of that redemption process too, in the temple, doing work for our ancestors, and you know what I mean, and 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 being that being that saving link between the those that came before us, and and literally being a part of the spiritual liberation for a lot of people that are probably waiting to have their temple work done and stuff too. I think that, that this being in a temple setting, being like you said, the Exodus, which is you stated incredibly well, I just think that Elijah being there is such kind of like the icing on the cake of this, right? Is, is kind of the how we can actually be a part of this, which is the things that we can do and participate in in the temple as well. And, and their names are very significant here because you've got Moses and Elijah coming to worship Christ and talk about the atonement and what he's doing. They've been seeing it and foretelling it. Elijah means my God is Jehovah. And if Elijah's worshiping Jesus Christ, his God is Jehovah. Jesus Christ is Jehovah, right? This is, and Moses, 
and, and the Egyptian is son of, right? So the, the son of God, the son of my God, Jehovah, and then Jesus meaning salvation, Christ meaning the anointed salvation. So he is the anointed salvation, the anointed way. My God is Jehovah, and we become his sons, or through this process, this is how we exodus out of here into God's plan, his salvation. It's, I don't know, it's, it's artistic. It's, no, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really incredible. I, you totally paid off, man. I, I was, I was excited to learn a little bit about the importance <laughs> of the Mount of Transfiguration, and you, you nailed it. You nailed it. That was incredibly well stated. I'm, I'm excited to go through and re-listen to this section and let, let my brain go as far as I can, kind of down that rabbit hole for a little bit. So thanks, thanks for doing that. Uh, yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about tonight? Uh, no, no. I just, I've just got one question for you, yeah, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. What are we talking about next week? You would, no. you would do that How to do you me. Like them you would, apples? You would. <laughs> we appreciate you guys listening. You know the address, hopefully, at this point that you can get a hold of us at hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Until next week. See ya.